0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to another episode of the Bird Calls podcast. I'm your host and contributor to thebirdrights.com, Preston Ellis. Today, to talk about what has to be, I don't know, one of the wildest two game swings in franchise history, we have our editor-in-chief, and, and I'm going to share a candid story that he just brought up. Uh, so I've changed jobs, and I'm a new dad, and, and frankly, it's just hard to find time to talk about the Pelicans. So when people reach out and ask you know for time on their pod I, I try to be polite because I know all the people that have helped me in the past but it's just hard to find time so I don't have a lot of that but I know my editor is like the heart and soul of the Pelicans news coverage and he's usually available so I always say hey why don't I pass you his information <laughs> uh, I did this for Mr. Aliander today and he wrote you gotta stop fucking doing to this to me man <laughs> so that's it no more podcast requests for Ali because we're shutting everyone but, down but he's at its limit
2: <laughs> But what's crazy, Preston, is when we started this, there was like, what, one or two other pods. I mean, David and I would be on radio shows, but it was just like there was a selection of like five, six or seven at the most within like a 250 mile radius. Now it's just insane how many people are doing their own thing. And I don't know. You just can't you just can't devote that much time to everybody because you don't have that much time yourself in a day. So that's all I meant by that.
1: Yeah, radio shows uh, used to reach out to me all the time, and I would just text them. I would just text them Ollie and Grub's number, to be quite honest. I was like, I, I just don't have time anymore. Ollie, we're demanding too much of you, and you need a break, sir. Uh, we also <laughs> <laughs> we have host of Hard in the Paint and voice of ESPNU and fast rising in the media ranks. Every time I, I look on Twitter or Instagram, he's talking to somebody else important. He's going to be too important for us quite soon. Uh, <laughs> David's gonna... been
2: killing it, man. Yes, uh, no. Absolutely.
1: I was going to play a fun like name game with you, but I thought, my God, I, we, we can't make fun of David because I just think about the story in the Bible and what a terrible person he was. And they dedicated a whole book to him. Uh, <laughs> but, but this David is much better. How are you, sir? What a horrible lead-in. I know. <laughs> the worst
3: hey, grab- lead-in what's up? ever. He's <laughs> <laughs> just bad on all fronts. I didn't like any of that. Uh,
1: oh, my gosh. It's better than the, the team negative, the Etuan Moore lead, and it's got to be better than that one. Okay, I, yeah,
3: but I mean, at least that one gave me, like, a rep. This is, you know. I get nervous was...
1: introducing David, because Ollie will laugh at pretty much anything I say, but I feel like if I go off the cuff on David, he's just going to reach through the computer and just knock me upside my head. What is
3: this? What is <laughs> you're portraying me as this violent ogre and i'm not i am not that person i'm uh, people meet me and and i'm a lovely person most of the time
1: most of the time that's that's honestly true i've spent a lot of time with david in new orleans but we're not here to talk about the bible we're certainly not here to talk about (laughs) other pelicans podcasts we're here to talk about this amazing (laughs) weekend of basketball we had uh, Ali, I talked to Mark Stein last night on the locker room app and he called the Pelicans, the most Jekyll and Hyde team in the NBA. And I think this I tweeted weekend... that, Oh, He's did you really? My shit
2: again, Mark. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mark Stein, you have been warned. Stop. I was actually listening to, um, I can't remember who it was. I, was. I was listening to a podcast. I think it was Jason Concepcion. But he basically said, uh, if you get mad at people stealing your stuff, which we argue about, he's like, that just means you don't have a, a lot of good ideas. And I was like, shut up, Jason. Don't you lecture to me, sir, through a podcast that I'm willingly listening to you, sir. So Mark Stein, you've been warned. But Ali, Jekyll and Hyde, it was yours first. Mark stole it from you like the monster he is. But talk no. about this weekend.
2: What's there to say? I mean, they had one of the worst losses to me in franchise history, right? They had, I mean, this team that has legitimate hopes, I still feel like, of making a playoffs when you look at the talent on the roster, when you look at what's been said, you look at what the direction of the franchise has been, um, and to have such a bust to come out of the All-Star break to where, I mean, the game wasn't even in doubt once you got, you know, what was it, about halfway through the second quarter, maybe a little bit more to where, you know, the Timberwolves grabbed the lead. You just felt never confident that the Pelicans would come back. And the way the third quarter transpired, where they really just, you know, I mean, it was just, it was just one of, like I said, the worst performances you, you've ever seen out of a professional franchise that has really talented players. And then to come back less than 24 hours later and to basically make atones, make amends for what had transpired. And I know that Cleveland didn't play well, and pretty much everybody in post game talked about that. But still, to come around and turn around, and your performance is really good, right? The effort level was consistent for 48 uh, minutes. I was going to say hours. <laughs> and uh, I wish 48 hours. And for them just to have that swing, right, 30-point loss to a 34-point win, I mean, it just really does say everything about this team, this this comprised roster this year. We have no idea what to expect, and, and I don't think that's a good thing, right?
1: No, no. Consistency is very valuable in the NBA, especially when you're trying to build what we always talk about, an identity, a culture. Uh, you have to have consistency. When you don't have consistency in its place, you have chaos. So 100% agree with that, even though the, the performance uh, last night obviously left us with a good taste. I think it was a 40-point victory. You still have to be concerned that Zion has to deliver some kind of, uh, I don't know, pregame speech imitating Stan Van Gundy just to get these guys engaged to play basketball. But I I that
2: impression, just to get the facts straight, it was a 34-point win, and Zion spoke after the game, right? Ah. In the locker room, you know, usually the coach has something to say to the team. Well, Zion decided to basically, I don't know whether, we don't know the exact story, but we have some details, right, to where he mimicked what Stan Van Gundy would say in his words not his tone, from what we understand. The only person that can do really good impressions around here, I think, is David Grubb. So, but anyway, Zion got an F in that grade. But yeah, it sounds like they had fun, right? So that's you know, I think that's good when you have such a terrible loss, and then you can turn around and and of course come up with a you know big victory for this team and be able to enjoy it and have fun. I think I think that's important, but of course the question in all our heads is. Can they actually sustain something? So, yeah, I'm going to pass this idea and these thoughts on to David because I'm curious to hear what his take is because he covered last night's game.
3: So, you know, in my mind, it's always, yeah, you know, we look at each individual game because I'm always looking for that thing, that consistency. Um, And that was the, the crux of my summary last night of the game was just, okay, they did it once. And we've seen them do it once before, you know, and and people say, well, look, they, they beat Utah and okay. And they've lost to, you know what I mean? Like, like you could go down the list of who they've
2: lost to Mm -hmm.
3: that they have an overall losing record against below 500 teams. And you have yet to play in many ways, like the rest of this stretch in March, how difficult it is. And the, and not only difficult in stature, but, the offensive ability of these teams when we know that defense is the worst by far part of this team's makeup and so until you start to see stretches where they win 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10 then what what are we doing other than letting them take you on a roller coaster ride because this is a team that still only has one four-game win streak this entire year and mm-hmm. not a single three-game win streak and and a few two games, they have more losing streaks of three games or more than they have winning streaks of three games or more. So what does that tell you? That yeah, they're not as maddening as we think because they never win consistently enough to make you think they're going to. You know, the preponderance of the time, they're gonna lose. It's just the how that makes it so frustrating, is because it comes from a lack of effort. It comes from from a lack of personal adjustments. And last night you saw some of that. But again, how many times do we watch the Pelicans play against teams and they've been in the position this year of being relatively healthy and other teams either have somebody coming just back from injury or they have multiple starters out with injuries and they've lost to those teams and they've beaten those teams. And so I think, yeah, like Ali said, you don't have any idea really who they are. There are some individually talented players Who have outstanding nights, and most often that one is Zion Williamson. And then you have, but in no sense other than last night, have do you really genuinely feel like this is a team?
1: Rob, I want to follow up on that. Uh, My biggest concern isn't the games at all. Uh, It's not the two games, even though it might be one of the most embarrassing performances in team history. Uh, Clunky losses like that happen. I guess you can qualify. What, What concerns me the most is Stan Van Gundy's comments after the game where he said the practice coming out of all-star break leading up to that game, I think he said it was one of the worst practices mm-hmm. he had ever seen. Mm-hmm. And that one raises a giant red flag for me, because that means that either his message is lost. Guys don't want to be there. Guys don't want to show up. Guys don't want to compete. And, and you're at a dangerous precipice of that part of losing buy-in. And we are just halfway through the season. Things can fall apart quickly. How can a coach, David, get the team back together now that, it, that he's got the team back under his wing, do you think they're in a position where he can still find that buy-in and get it out of these guys on a night-out-night-in basis? Or do you think something has to change?
3: Something has to change. Because mentally, again, this mm-hmm. is a workplace, first and foremost. It's a workplace. And a number of people that should, at this workplace don't feel secure. So if that's the case... Buy-in is always going to be hard because my motivation is going to change from day to day. I can never consistently give you, I might be able to give you hundred percent of what I have, but that day I might only be operating at 60%. Because mentally, if you're Eric Bledsoe, where are you mentally? Are you present every night? It doesn't appear that way. You know what I mean? Like JJ Reddick, is he, is he mentally present in the same way every night though he's a professional and he shows up and does his job. I'm not saying he doesn't do his job. I'm just saying, are you in that place where you need to be to be an elite competitive athlete? Not just a great physical specialist, but I, I don't know how many of the Pelicans players are mentally strong because we watch on a night to night basis where the, you see it, you know, where they give up, where the energy is palpably low. Just like last night, I'm sure for Ali in the building, it was palpably high. But how many times do you see this team cheer for each other? How many times do you see a guy rush to pick up another guy when he goes down? How many times do you see a guy willing to fight for another guy on this team when someone attacks the rim? You know, Where do you see that? Who are those people? They don't fight for each other. They play basketball at times, and they play it well at times. But I do not see a basketball team, and I don't think that's all on the coach. I think that there is a lie when we're talking about a family culture, how can you have a family culture in a season and a half? And in both of those seasons, half your roster at least is going to turn over. Let's have a professional culture. Let's have a culture where people think they're going to win. I don't care about a family. Pelicans don't have to be a family. They need to be a basketball team. And and they don't have enough professional and mentally strong and winning basketball
2: players.
1: For sure. That was an excellent monologue, and I don't think we need to follow that up uh, with Ali. But I, I do want to transition. He mentioned uh, the environment, and he mentioned David Griffin. And one thing that we talked about last week was uh, bestowing minutes. He had that monologue that Andrew Lopez posted about you don't just bestow minutes on young players. You want them to earn them, and, and there's no sense in putting them into a losing atmosphere and developing them in that kind of environment. However, since coming back from the All-Star break, we've seen just that. And I know that we're resting players on on back to backs. JJ Redick is out of the lineup, so that's that's going to give minutes to Nikhil and Kyrie Lewis right off the bat. And when you do put them into the game, even though they're developing and they're getting better, it's it's more likely than not that you're going to lose games. The the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, they both rank in the 11th percentile in the NBA. That's out of 100, so it's very very low. They're they it's growing pains. It's natural. The part that kind of stood out to me a bit more, Ali, even though he played, I think, well, the numbers still bear themselves out. The Pelicans are terrible when he's on the floor. Jackson Hayes, Willie Hernan Gomez really wasn't getting a lot of run. Uh, What did you take from that change in the lineup, Ali?
2: It's been a mixed bag since that change happened. But I will say in the last game, I felt like even though it was apparent, Jackson Hayes still really is terrible defensively. Right. Nas Reed had no problems backing him down from almost a three point line on one play and then caught it in the post and made a simple move to over his right shoulder to where Jackson was standing or expecting a baseline, some kind of move. And he's literally still staying there when Nas is already letting go of the shot. Right. He was that late in reacting to it. But offensively, I felt like he provided a decent punch to where, you know, he just made himself available near the rim, and his activity, and I will say this, since he's been reinserting the lineup, I think his activity level has been higher. It's been noticeable in the way he's trying to chase down blocks, the way he's, you know, putting forth even more effort in getting from spot A to spot B, whether it's the right line, whether that's what he should be doing or not. So the effort is there. And I think that's the right move. I honestly think development is now everything with this team. I know that they're still within striking distance of the playing tournament, and that probably should be a goal. I mean, let's face it: ten of the top teams in the Western Conference get to play past the regular season. You should you should be shooting for that when you've got Zion and Brandon Ingram and several other really good players on this team. But yeah, overall, I mean, Jackson he he he's still very much a mixed bag, but. I am in favor of seeing him getting more playing time and even though Billy Hernan Gomez on a given play is a better I would trust him more right whether us on offense or defense you still have to be looking to the future and Jackson Hayes whether right or wrong whether he pans out or not is part of that future so you've got to have a look at him now.
1: Yeah I think that's fair David but if if you are going to put in those young players, which, again, is, is speaking against the credo that uh, Griffin spoke last week, you, you have to expect that you're going to lose games. Uh, you're going to struggle, and obviously these guys are going to improve, but you're going to be inconsistent. And if you're going to be inconsistent, then, then we get to the question, what are the Pelicans doing with Eric Bledsoe, with J.J. Redick once he comes back? And I talked to Mark Stein on the locker room app which is really, really cool. Suggest you guys check it out. Yeah, up. by
2: the way, Preston, tell us the story. How would you get into contact with him? You just reached out to him on that app, and he responded or what? Because I don't no, know so, how it works.
1: So Clubhouse and Locker Room are very similar. Um, and they're just professional like uh, opportunities for you to join a conference or a seminar. And while you're at that seminar, you actually have the ability to speak to the moderator or the host. What you do is you do what's called raising your hand. And if that person accepts you, which they typically do, then you get to go on stage and you get to talk to them for, for a few moments, uh, maybe even a few minutes. I was up there for about five minutes. So it's a it's a wonderful opportunity to not only like listen to some of the leaders in the industry, but also to network, like also to get to talk to people. It's it's super, super cool. And I can see why, why people on the internet are, are taking to it and it's growing so quickly. And they have large resources behind them. They've got some, some big, big names. I saw Tim McMahon was on there earlier. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't. I don't remember who else, but um, uh, I can't remember. It. Anyway, I'll, I'll think of it later. But basically, what Mark Stein was saying, David, was that the Pelicans have been actively shopping Eric Bledsoe, um, but they're they're just not getting whatever it is that they want in the deal. It, to me it's at a point where you just have to cut bait because something with this roster is not working. And I don't mean working in terms of wins. I mean working in terms of buy-in. And you have to think, like you said earlier, that those players whose futures aren't certain have to be at least partial culprits. So to you, is it time to get rid of Eric Bledsoe even if you get nothing for him, even if you just have to, frankly, buy him out?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Like you, This, no matter what, no matter what, even if they were to make the playoffs, this is not the group that's going to be back next year. Air blitzo is not going to want to come back next year. J.J. Reddick is going to be a free agent. We know he's not coming back next year. So at, at you've already wasted the opportunity to get them when their value is at its highest. So now why would the Pelicans be in a position to demand anything from people? So just give it away. Because as Ali and I have said before to each other plenty of times, addition by subtraction is a real thing. Because what the first thing you're changing is you're changing the mood of your locker room. You, mm-hmm. you take people out who don't want to be there. Those young guys, no matter what, they're still at the point in their careers where they have something to prove. And so if you put them on the floor, I don't think Kyra Lewis believes he's, he's taking minutes, but if I'm Kyra Lewis and I watch Eric Bledsoe play 41 minutes and go one for eight and turn the ball over and play in different defense, And I know I I would guarantee, though we're not at practice, that Kyra busts his ass for practice for two hours whenever they do get together or that he shows up for meetings on time or early and that he does all those things and then he watches the game performance and he says, I don't get more minutes. Or if I'm Nikhil and you say, I see these things and I don't get more minutes. The only person who could be in that position possibly where you say he hasn't earned it is Jax. But the other two... How could it be worse? How could they look at the, at the coach and say, you're being fair to me? So my question always comes down to this. Who is really in charge of the roster? Is Stan Van Gundy in charge of the minutes that he's allocating? Is he being pushed by David Griffin or Trajan Langdon or someone to play people certain minutes? And if that's the case, how do you build a cohesive unit on a night-to-night basis if the team knows? that the coach isn't in charge? How are they going to respect him? And how
2: are you going to get the best out of it? Yeah, and this, and just real quick, I want to jump in. And it makes you wonder on those off nights where the effort level is in there, is something like that in play or partially responsible for what we see transpire, right? Eric Bledsoe comes out and, and let's face it, his play has really dwindled. I mean, here in March, he can't make a shot. He can't make a play. He drives into the middle of the paint and he's either not getting a shot off or really not making the offense, uh, making any kind of positive impact on the offense. So, yeah, like you just mentioned, David, if I'm Kyrie, if I'm McKeel, who are just, you know, chomping at the bit. And you can tell with these players, they just want to play. They're competitive. They've got this feisty nature that's just waiting to be unleashed. And you see that. Does that contribute to some of these off nights that the Pelicans are having? And, and does it take effect over the whole roster, which, in fact, is a very young roster? So I've got so many questions that, you know, I can't even give a response or an answer. Whenever somebody asks me a general question about where do I think this team's headed, where are they now, I can't give them anything that I feel like is a good educated guess. And what you just mentioned, that really has been on my mind. Eric Bledsoe getting 41 minutes, and I know you're referring to 42 minutes against the Chicago Bulls. Where, I mean, the Pelicans just played, you know, they, they, they were off that night. And it's been like that. And yet Eric Bledsoe still starts, still sees those regular minutes, at least at the start of the first and third quarters. I don't understand the why. And this is coming off the heels of David Griffin getting on the ESPN New Orleans radio and talking about needing to earn minutes. Earn them a, ahead of who? How has Bledsoe maintained his position? I have a serious problem with that. I had it when he said it, and I've had it since then. I, I I think that's one of his worst, maybe his worst argument, um public presentation, whatever you want to call it, that he's had since he's taken over his job. It was so ill timed and it makes no sense. And it really it, it, it just sits terribly with me. Yeah,
1: uh a lot of a lot of people um turn turn a side eye to on off numbers, uh, efficiency differential, that sort of thing. I think it's a tremendous resource, especially when it's taken over the course of, you know, a thousand to fifteen hundred minutes. And in that spectrum, we can analyze uh, the effectiveness of Eric Bledsoe, and it's near where all the young players are. It's in the 40th percentile. Uh, frankly, when Eric Bledsoe is on the floor, the Pelicans are not playing well. And you put the other starters, they start at 61st percentile, that's Zion and then Adams at 78, uh, Brandon Ingram at 87, Lonzo at 92. Obviously, we're being really, really tough on Eric Bledsoe for good yes. reason, Grub. But um, Steven Adams hasn't been that solid as of late. Uh, Ooh, of course, everybody... I'll disagree with
2: you. Since okay. you all start break, uh, I'll disagree with you. But go ahead. Uh,
1: but Brandon Ingram, there's a lot of highlights on Twitter right now of his defense getting carved up on the baseline. Uh, just a highlight uh, from, uh, I think it was Friday night. But Grub, our... Are we being unnecessarily just in terms of our starters harsh on Eric Bledsoe? Are other players in the starting lineup not holding up their end of the bargain?
2: Oh, absolutely. That's a good question. Yes, that's, that's absolutely. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because
3: Brandon Ingram, quite frankly, um, on a night-to-night basis, first, first, his defense is is just awful on a night on, on the off night
2: so, when he performs, David Wright average to below average his defense is, is beyond terrible right it's, it's
3: just it's it's he doesn't even give effort like he's not getting in a defensive position he's not making contact with his man he's mm-hmm. not aware of, his, of, of of where his player is at times he's i've seen him turn in complete circles away yes. from the ball against
2: jake layman that one play against jake layman right
3: yeah and, and 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 you and the shots that layman got in that game There was no one within five feet
2: of him. Open threes, yep, drives to the basket.
3: And I'll say this about Brandon, too. He struggles to adjust his offensive game when the defense changes it. And the example that I will use is Minnesota. You know, and and you heard during the game Antonio Daniels talking about, look, they're, they're, they're sending two. Every time Ingram gives the ball, they're sending two. Well, he's getting them at the top. And we know that the top is the worst position for the ball handler to to get double teamed in because there's nowhere else to go except backwards. So, but Brandon would not adjust to that instead of saying, I don't throw me the ball here and trying to change it up, which he actually did last night. And I mentioned that in the article as well. Last night he looked for the bad switches Mm -hmm. against Minnesota. He didn't do that against a team that shouldn't have been able to defend him, even Mm -hmm. with the double. He didn't utilize screens. He doesn't work without the basketball. He doesn't go to his mid-range post-up that he used so effectively at times last year. So overall, you can look at the averages from night to night, and they look the same pretty much. But the way he's playing hasn't evolved as much as it should have. Where we watch Zion figure these things out when defenses come at him in different ways, and we see his brain start to go, okay, well, now I need to go this way or I can still go left, or I can move where I'm positioning. And there are things that he has to figure out, but we're at game 60. Brandon Ingram's in year five. He's in year five. So to me, that means that he has to to, to start evolving a little bit more quickly. And so on the offensive end, he's got to evolve. And on the defensive end, he's got to commit. Because he's a worse defender now than when he was his first two years in L.A. And people were talking about he had the potential to be an all-NBA defender.
1: Yeah, Sorry, I didn't know if you want to hop in there, Ollie. Um, No,
2: I I agree with everything David said. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. I don't don't understand with Brandon Ingram, who seems very cerebral about the way the game takes place and the way he answers questions of post-media. I can see he understands the game. He can think the game. But yet within the game, it's the inexplicable nights where it seems like, it's either he's not there fully, and as David mentioned, he's not striving to get the best shot that he can um, or put forth the effort to wherever it's required on the court to versus the good nights like last night, right? And, and it's funny how I equate it to just a simple play is getting a rebound trying to put forth an effort to make a play somewhere that doesn't involve shooting the basketball or ma- even making a play for somebody else. It seems like to me when he's, got, when he's got good rebounding numbers, the Pelicans are a much better team and they win. And I, I kind of looked at that last night and I I didn't, I didn't write down the totals or anything, but it seemed like whenever he has six or more rebounds, the Pelicans have won a lot more contests than they've lost. So I feel like he's a guy that needs to get himself going by doing those small things. And, you know, he hasn't done that. He looks exactly like the same player as last year to me, to whether you don't know if you're going to get, you know, good BI to where he's efficient, he's involved, he's engaged, versus when he's not, and he's just not really helping the team, even though he'll put up 20, 25 points. So, yeah, I think David was spot on in his argument.
1: Oof. Um, I I do think that Brandon Ingram is... Yeah, sorry,
2: when you said oof, I, I don't want people to think that we're slamming players and we don't like them because all of a sudden this is something we need to also mention right here on social media. Mm -hmm. Whenever a player has a bad game, a bad stretch, bad run, it doesn't mean we're dismissing them completely. Right. But you have to point out the faults. You have to make a logical argument on what you see. Right. And it truly is in the NBA. It's almost from game to game, especially on young teams. So like I said, when you said, "oof." We have every right to criticize him when it's deserved, right? So, I mean, I don't know if David wants anything, add anything to this argument, but yeah, B.I.'s been in the league for five years. So the expectation is he should understand of what's almost required from a night-to-night basis, and he's not really doing that yet. So that is my issue too, just like David's.
3: Yeah, it, it's it's never, ever about... I don't question, you know. I'm not. I'm not here to question his his work ethic. I'm not here to question, um, you know, his acting like that. I just all I'm looking at is what did you see on the court on, on game to game, and it'd be the same. Like, look, and, and I'm not to pick on BI because all of a sudden there's been this, you know, yes. trade Brandon Ingram crowd. No, I'm not part of that. I mean, that's not again. That ain't even my job. I'm not a GM, but I could say this. There's a there's a problem that you can have with every player on this roster that is not only significant, it's stagnant in that it's not getting better. So those are the things that you worry about because they said player development was the focus. Well, my thing with Lonzo Ball is, yeah, he's shooting much better from three, but he's still missing layups. You know what I mean? And and there's still times defensively when he yes he is a great instinctual team defender but there are times when he gets beat off the dribble too often by players who are lesser players than he should be and for Zion Williamson still I don't like nights where he has four and five rebounds because the function to me and every you know of him grabbing defensive boards is to have him with the ball in his hands in transition because he draws the defense and gives Brandon Ingram catch and shoot opportunities because then you get Josh Hart streaking to the basket for, an, uh, for a layup. Then you get Stephen Adams on an early seal where you can throw it over the top and, and let him finish around the rim. Though, or Zion can go straight to the basket and get a po- basket or a foul. Those things don't happen when he does not defensive rebound because the ball ends up in the hands of players who stop it, like Eric Bledsoe, like Stephen Adams, who, you know, bless his heart, if he grabs the board, the first thing he's doing is looking backwards. He's not advancing it with with a you know a, um a pass down court, so yeah there's you know that's Lonzo. and then you talk if you want to talk about Zion, it's still the rebounding and the defense have to get better. They just have to those two and his assertiveness at times he has to de- demand the basketball and I, and I know everybody' can say, well he's in his second year and he's just played 60 games. if you're going to be the guy, there's no time to wait for it. There's no time to wait for it. I mean, and and you don't want to compare people to Jordan or Kobe Bryant. But if Zion is going to be on these charts with Jordan and Wilt Chamberlain and Kareem Abdul Jabbar, well, all of those guys asserted themselves as the number one Mm -hmm. from the day they walked in the door. So Zion Williamson needs to say, give me the fucking basketball. And if you can't get it to me, coach, you better find some people who can.
1: All right uh brian let's get into some questions this is brian the uk pelican uh he says is basketball fun to watch anymore everything is crunch processed and overanalyzed we all become coaches and GMs, saying what we would do what happened to just enjoying the game um i i understand uh where this is coming from because uh for me i even have to remove myself from social media because it can reach a very very dark and twisted place However, as basketball fans, we we are just that. We're fans. We're fanatics. Um and it is I I think it's all right to enjoy the game in this format, but yes, it it can reach uh, a dark level. But in terms of NBA 2K, trade machines, that sort of thing, that's part of what makes the game great. It's the conversation when people are talking about the game. The game has the avenue to grow to expand. Now, now maybe you don't like the way that the game is evolving. You don't like the trade machines. You don't like the three point line and and how the Houston Rockets have evolved the game in that form. And and that's your right. But in in terms of us, you know, talking about coaches and GMS uh, and, and that sort of thing, I I think this is an avenue that is making the NBA the forefront of the conversation. I, I can't remember what it was. It was like um. I don't remember, it was like the Super Bowl or something a, a couple of years ago. And, and the NBA dominated the conversation during the Super Bowl because there was some mammoth all-star trade. And that, that is, I think, good for the game. Now, can we go too far with it? Absolutely. You're absolutely spot on with that assessment. Sometimes we can go a little bit too far. And and that's why I have guys like Ali and David Grubb to keep me in check. David Fisher or Chris Connor, I text all the time and I'm like, Hey, do I sound too dark today? Do I sound too negative? (laughs) Um, I I think it's good to have people in place like that. Ali, do you want to follow this? Am I just rambling?
2: No, you're not rambling at all. And you're coming up to a key point. Zion's 60 games in his career. So that means he's played that many games if he's lucky. I'm sure Brandon and Lonzo and whoever is meant to be at least, you know, here next year, it's too short to make some kind of evaluation to where like, as David mentioned, as we've seen over the last what week or so, Brandon Ingram, maybe he's the guy that should be shipped out now. I I can't stand this talk. I I really can't. Um, I've I've talked to Antonio Daniels. We've talked to a bunch of either play former players, Coaches like Jamel McMillan. It's all about what you bring to the table. So do you impact winning positively? And if so, do you have the potential for it? And that's where I feel like I always want to start my analysis on any situation, but I feel like almost nobody else does. And and that, that's a problem for me. So no, you're absolutely hitting it right. So when you talk about are these games fun still? Yeah, absolutely. I think every single game to me has, at some point or excuse me, has certain extent, some kind of value, right? To where you can take something away. You should take something away from it because everything is does go on your resume for a player, for a team. So you should be able to add that to the totality to when you trying to summarize whatever it is, whether it's a player, whether it's the team, which way they're headed. So yes, every game is important and I do watch every game, no matter whether it's a blowout or not. And I do take enjoyment out of that. Because everything really is, it may sound funny when coaches say this, especially, but you do from game one to game 82 of the regular season. It, it is all honestly a practice to a certain extent. You're always trying to get better every day. So when people laugh at when, whether players say this, don't laugh at it because it really is the truth. Because really, you can really make, you know, micro improvements almost week to week, game to game to where it will help you in the playoffs. If so, your team ends up there. So, no, I'm 100% on the side of please don't be turned off by a blowout loss. Don't be turned off by, you know, a team going through a bad stretch. No, it's telling you something about this team, this roster construction, where they should be headed. You know, there's a lot of questions that can still be answered. So, no, every game is very important to me. And like I said, don't be evaluating from a summary standpoint, especially on a young roster. We know what the young core is, right? I mean, they didn't give Brandon Ingram um, a maximum contract with the thought of, okay, well, he kind of put up all-star numbers, right, and he, he can score officially. But we, we've got to throw that money at him because we're not sure if he's going to be, honestly, a winning you know, player for, for our team long term. They, they, that answer can't be made. But the thing is, he's trending upwards in his career, just like any young player. That's what you look for is trends. And so I'm getting a little long-winded here with my answer, but no.
0: I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And
1: now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships— The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let
3: sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's
1: sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery.
2: It's so important with young teens, honestly, to take a lot of things with a grain of salt, but everything does have certain value and importance to it. So please don't get turned off by a bad week or something like that would be my message.
1: Let's talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. From rare dead stock to the latest release, you can find the exact sneaker you're looking for on eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. And with eBay's authenticity guarantee, a team of independent professional authenticators perform a rigorous inspection of the sneakers you purchase before they're sent to you. So you can shop confidently knowing your pair is the real deal. And for the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. With other sites taking as much as 25%, you're going to have a lot of extra money left for you guessed it, more sneakers. Check out ebay.com/sneakers today. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You want to follow that, Grub?
3: Yeah, I'll just say quickly that, you know, my first love is, is the game you know yes. above teams above any individual player um, you know so I try to make sure and I think there's, there's a balance on our site. you know there are people who are pelicans fans, there are people who are basketball fans, there are people who are basket who who are look at it from different perspectives within that spectrum of are better at the analytics and some are better at the at the, of the, the overall just from the distance part of it. And and so I think that that balance is important to have in your conversations outside of of our little room. So when we do that, um, I think that's what keeps the game enjoyable for me is that I can be snarky and I can be silly and I can be funny at times with my tweets. But it's always it always comes back to the basketball. You know what I'm, saying? I'm not I don't have an agenda. I'm not looking to get people really, you know, it's not to because I don't like that person. It's because I don't like their basketball right now. And I think that there are ways it can be improved. And sometimes that means this guy has to go or the team needs to adjust in this way that I see it. But ultimately, I think if you love basketball, if you love anything, a person, a sport, at some time, music, at some point, you're going to hate it because it's going to be doing something either as it evolves or as it stagnates that you just don't enjoy. But ultimately, that love is what gets you through that and you, you get back to the core of why you love it and, and you continue to appreciate it. And that's the way I'll always feel about basketball.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll just take this back to one of my favorite moments uh, as a Pelicans fan. It was, it was watching uh, a Tyreek Evans, Anthony Davis uh, game against LaMarcus Aldridge and Damian Lillard. I want to say it was 2015. Anyway, it came down to a final possession. Tyreek Evans hit like a 16-footer. And then on the other end, uh, Anthony Davis had superb individual defense on the Marcus Aldridge, and, and he missed the, um, the potential game winner. But before that sequence, uh, the Pelicans were up by three. I, I think there was like 30 seconds left in the game. And Damian Lillard came up. I want to say it was like from maybe 35 feet like he just stopped like basically at the logo and just and i knew it i like as i was like he's gonna make this fucking shot like i know he's gonna make this shot and it was awesome and and the rest of that run in 2017 18 i remember the first game against the blazers that we won and i was like i was excited but when they won game two i thought oh shit they can steal this entire series like we might be advancing to round two and it's and it's moments like that that you really really yearn for you you just want a winner you want some consistency and I think fans have a, have a right to be frustrated, but just to bring mm-hmm. it back to Brian, uh, it can go too far. So I just want to appreciate mm-hmm. that. All right, let's go ahead and move. Before we get to another Pelicans fight, uh, fight <laughs> question. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's hard for me to think and read at the same time, but, <laughs> but I'm working on it. Uh, this is from Clint White. He said, if you had to fight one zoo animal and win, but have it look like a realistic balanced fight, what animal would you pick? I, I want to start by saying I absolutely would not pick. Was it the jaguar or the leopard at the, the Audubon Zoo that, that escaped and, like, went on a killing spree, like, killed a bunch of, um, I, I don't remember, ostriches? Are you like, me? This, no,
2: this question I'm is that easy that for me. Anybody? Anything bigger or stronger or faster than me, I'm not even getting in the cage with them. Are you kidding me? I I mean, was this one. This one's straightforward. I'm forward. fighting koalas. Like that's what you get <laughs> me in there. I will tear koala's ass
3: up. <laughs> bring me a marsupial that is smaller than me. Don't bring me a kangaroo
2: because a kangaroo will, will they put box. My oh, ass, they'll box your ass up. You I'm saying yes. I'm not
3: fighting no alligators. I ain't fighting no monkeys. I ain't fighting no chimpanzees, gorillas. Those things are strong. They're fast and they're agile. What am I gonna do against those things? Get my give me a whooped. bird. I'll I'm give not me fighting an a goat. Give me a
2: snake. I'm not spider. fighting. You I'll... know,
3: nothing with four legs that can run fast. No. <laughs> give me a mars. Give me something that clings. Let me fuck up a sloth.
1: I'll whoop I was a sloth's <laughs> ass. I was but I'm not going there with
3: nothing else.
1: No, I, I was gonna say sloth. Slot.
2: good one david
1: <laughs> originally uh, i was thinking emu but as he started talking about something that can bob and weave and i was like yeah there's there's no like way dude you don't want to fight
3: anymore. a raccoon you know what i'm yeah. saying like you don't no. want to go a, a raccoon will do some damage to you yeah
1: <laughs> so we'll, we'll settle a slot thanks for that one clint
2: i would beat uh, the shit out of a slot i don't care
1: i feel like i would give up midway i
2: want to see this now the press. don't we want to see this now david's talking so much game here i kind of want to see this.
3: all you sloths out there i don't care if you're sleeping or hanging from a tree if you want some of this if you want some tweet me dm i will be
1: there <laughs> oh my god i'm crying that's amazing oh god okay back to we the needed bellicons. this laugh by yeah. the way this
2: is good stuff man this good is work, therapy bud.
1: All right, Samuel Wilcher, uh, this, this is something we ask on every pod because, frankly, I just don't have an answer. And I always bring it back to Ali because I know that he's attending most of these practices and games, but I just cannot practices, understand I don't it.
0: attend
2: any practices. Get that straight quick. All right.
1: <laughs> uh, but I, I just, I, just don't, I don't get it. And I know that a large populace of the Pelicans population is, is of the same mindset. How is it that Wenyan Gabriel is not getting any time?
2: Easy answer is he hasn't impressed enough for where Stan Van Gundy feels comfortable inserting him into the rotation. Right. And I'll be honest with you. I, I mean, I didn't watch any G league games, so I don't even know what kind of actions he's had there, but we did see him come into the last game blowout against Cleveland. And honestly, I didn't see anything that made him stand out even on back-to-back possessions where I said, Oh, look at that. Well, we could use, you know, the Pelicans could use that in future games. Sorry, no, I didn't see like either defensive pursuit, rebounding, some kind of offensive display. So, no, I honestly think that Stan, what he, I asked him this question a couple, you know, what was it? I want to say like five, six weeks ago, because we were wondering where is, you know, uh, Mr. Gabriel. And he just said, yeah, he's just not ready yet. He's still progressing, but I don't feel comfortable and even thinking about adding him to the rotation yet. So I think it's a really clear cut, dried answer. If he's not going to impact winning, why should Stan throw him out there? If we're not in a full blown rebuild, um, and it's basically strictly developmental minutes that you're mostly concerned about, then winning doesn't deserve the court. So I'm going to side with Stan here on that one and just basically agree that, look, Mr. Gable, he's, he's just not ready. We know what we saw right in the playoffs where he had some momentary glimpses against the Lakers and Anthony Davis, but apparently he has not shown that yet here in New Orleans.
1: Now that's an unfortunate answer, um, but I, I don't think we need to follow that one up with Grubb unless we want to. I, I think it's just frustrating for fans seeing, you know, Jackson Hayes out there, uh, Nicola Melli out there, and it's like these guys are obviously struggling.
2: Why not give this kid a look? Well, we saw what- Preston, to be, let's be fair, though. Step back for a second. Wenying came into the season injured. So he was already he I think he had maybe one, maybe one half practices in training camp. So that's putting him way behind the eight ball when he's already going to be one of what, eight, nine, 10, 11 hopefuls in the rotation. And he couldn't even meet that, you know, level, uh, that bar. So you're comparing him now to Melly and Jackson Hayes, who Jackson Hayes was drafted eighth. He's automatically going to be given. The, you know, benefit of the doubt in terms of minutes. And let's face it, Jackson has now been showing glimpses. When you want to point to Melly, Melly brings something that we, I know we haven't seen very much of, but we saw it last year, right? He can spread the floor. He also knows how to kind of play defense in terms of a team's, you know, scheme schematics. He knows the right positions. Wayne very much still a novice, especially in professional basketball. So let's just put them on equal footing, I guess is what I'm trying to say here.
1: It's, it's a very small sample size. It's, it's under 200 minutes, 170 minutes. But when Melly's on the floor, the, the Pelicans score 12.4 points less uh, on the offensive side of the floor per 100 possessions. That ranks him in the second percentile out of 100. Again, a small sample size.
2: Preston, but what about defensively? I know that I honestly, when he's been on the floor, even though whether it's not because of him or not, the Pelicans are a much better defensive unit. Right. A
1: sneaky bastard. You're absolutely correct. Uh, <laughs> I don't even want to mention it because it's so staggering. I, I don't even want to believe it. But see, it. that's
2: what the coach factors in, right? You've you got to see what works. So whether he's making shots or not is irrelevant to whether a team, it impacts winning, correct? It's, it's a five-man rotation is what coaches look at. It's not what a person does individually in the box score.
1: I feel like what happened was I just put you like in a figure four Leg lock, and you just reversed it on me, and I <laughs> tapped out. Uh, <laughs> he is in the hundredth percentile on the defensive end of the floor. Oh my,
2: wait, what was that?
1: Hundredth, hundredth, hundredth. Wow. The, the Pelicans allow 16.2 points less per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. So he's a perfectly mediocre player. Second percentile offensive side, 100 percentile. Defense. But let's be honest.
2: Those numbers aren't doing justice here. We both know that right. he's not typically as bad as he should be, even though he can't, has has no confidence shooting the ball. But defensively, he's no wonder or no, last or however night you he didn't say really He did
3: play great defense. You know, like last night, he was just around because the, the game was over. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like defensively, he didn't make an impact or an imprint. And that's- No, where he made
2: an impact, David, think back to for me, it's the Boston Celtics game, right?
3: No, well, yeah, he's part of the closing unit and he, he moved the ball. That was primarily it because he only hit one shot. Yes. But primarily his that corner, corner offense, was big, but He yes. kept the ball moving. But it feels like a lot of times he does that because he doesn't want to shoot, because he's so worried he's gonna miss. But at least he is moving the ball in that regard. And defensively, he does main he maintains contact. That's what he does defensively. He maintains contact because he knows he's slow.
2: So and when he, he understands he does, the game, right, when you watch his yeah. movements, right? That's yeah. what I'm saying. So he, yeah. he
3: knows he, he, to compensate because if you come from Europe, you're playing a space game naturally. So covering people and know, knowing where you need to be position-wise is, is very important because you see more zones, you see different looks. So I think that's part of the, thing, the benefit there. And he's also older. Remember, too, he's seen more than a lot of Mm -hmm. these other guys in the rotation. So I think that all those things are factors. No, he's not an elite defender, but, yes, he takes less off the table than a lot of these other guys just by. And and this is a lot of the things with the Pelicans in general. If they just didn't fuck it up so bad, they'd be better. But when they mess up, they mess up in the worst way possible.
1: All right, we'll we'll do about another 10 minutes and then we'll get out of here. Um, I have to ask this one, Grub, and we've got a couple of questions about it from AJ Vallon. It's Prime. Uh, Basically, just just tell us where you stand right now with Lonzo Ball. Is he still on the trade block? Uh, Are you ready to pay him? If you are uh, willing and ready to pay him, how much are you going to offer him? Where do you stand with Lonzo Ball today on whatever it is, March 13th, 2021?
3: I'm not trading him. I'm not doing that now. Um, I need him. Because I'm not, if I'm going to have any semblance of continuity on this team the rest of this season, I need Lonzo. And again, he's my restricted free agent. So I have right of first refusal on anything. Now, the conversation I have to have is with Zion, with BI, and with Lonzo. Those are three very important conversations to have because if I decide financially that it is not feasible to hold on to him, and the Pelicans have to be really prepared to let him go in that case and that means talking to zion and making it square with them before they even make that move because you don't want this to become something that lingers in how they view the franchise so there's more than just his play at at play here so i think that I'm, i'm not trading him this season i don't know what the dollar figure is appropriate at this point because i don't know the nba cap um where it'll be next season and i don't know um, what other teams are going to be throwing his way and who's in play. But if I'm the Pelicans, I'm telling Lonzo, whatever you do, come back to us. You, you if, Even if you're not sure you want him, you make sure that he feels wanted so that you're not negotiating more against yourself than you could potentially be.
1: All right. I'm going to move on to the next one. Cause I imagine Ali is of the same thought. Are you of the same thought, Ali?
2: Yeah, It's real simple. I mean, I think like David Griffin has always talked about Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball together and what they want to do here after they draft a Zion is look at them as part of the future. So I don't think anything's changed, especially in light of his play since his knee injury, right, where he missed the three games. You can't overlook what he brings to the court. You, you, You just can't. He's improved. From three-point range to where I don't care whether he's got gravity or not, that's going to come in time once the Pelicans start winning. But the fact that he's up there amongst the elite in terms of volume, three-point shooters, you can't discount that in today's game, especially alongside uh, Zion Williamson. And we've always talked about the little things he does. I mean, it's so obvious to me when I watch a game to how the ball moves um, to all these small plays that don't factor in a box score, but it makes it either easier for the team to get up the court get an easy basket, you name it, Lonzo is usually the guy that's responsible for those actions. So that's very important. And so, like I said, I see his true value to this team and I'm pretty sure that the Pelicans do as well, especially since now, like I said, he can be, you know, a secondary scorer on the perimeter or even a secondary playmaker. And I think that we've seen that come and go and you hope that some consistency takes place there. But I've seen games to where he takes it more to the hoop than, you know, we saw in previous iterations of of him in uh, previous years. So I feel like there's still – you still don't know what his ceiling is. But either way, you feel comfortable with having him alongside Zion, especially past this year. So that's why I've been in favor. Until you show me a player that you can get to replace him that Mm -hmm. will impact winning more and fit with Zion better – then I am all for keeping Lonzo. And I think it's really that easy of a conversation to have. Yeah, He's,
1: he's 14, five and five uh, in just 31 minutes a game, 38%, over 38% from three. I know the second half of the season for him has been much better than the first half. So he's getting better. Also, uh, I keep going back to it, but cleaning the glass, he ranks in the 92nd percentile in uh, on off court effect. So the Pelicans are 11 points better than their competition uh, per 100 possessions when he's on the floor that's tops on the team so when he's on the floor the team plays well it, it just is what it is it's 1100 minutes so it's not a small sample size
2: he impacts winning that's yep. all that matters yep.
1: uh all right grub uh oh actually I'm, I'm gonna run through this and and see uh what you think of my list uh Mosley season says trade destinations for Sow and Redick. I brought this up to Mark Stein, and he's seen the moon. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, he seemed pretty intrigued. I said Danny Green because you just want to get off salary, and you know you can moon, buy him Danny out. Green with the Sixers. Yeah.
2: Yep, they're um, not moving Danny Green. You don't think so? Why you know, would Sixers? And... Rip, first of all, take it back. What's What's Green going to give you?
1: He's not going to give you anything, but his contract is right, expiring, so, so you get off the books.
2: But Philly, why are you
3: going to get smaller when you're playing against the Nets? You know, like that's who you're trying to to be ready for. And you know you have to match shots with them. Bledsoe doesn't give you any kind of defensive advantage if you're Philly against Harden or Kyrie based on what you've seen this year. So where does Bledsoe help you? Because at the very least, I know Danny Green can be a knockdown shooter for certain in the postseason. And I know that he he's a good enough team defender that He won't hurt me so, and you're Doc Rivers. You want you're trying to sell championship
2: culture, you're gonna dump the guy with five rings, yeah. Eric Blitzel, exactly. nah, for a guy that's not done anything in the playoffs, exactly it makes no sense.
1: What about Gary Harris? Uh, why again? Why would Denver do that?
2: What you think? Well, for Gary me, Harris why are you taking back Gary Harris if, if you're, you're you're uh David Griffin? I, I don't see that one, yeah. If you're
3: committed to Kyra and Nikhil. Gary Harris again doesn't help you. You don't. If you're the Pelicans, the only players to me, if and I don't care if they get a player back, like that doesn't even matter this year. If they get a a quality player back now, unless you're adding somebody who's a wing defender, but other than that,
2: you're just trying to clear the deck here. That's 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 my thought for, for Bledsoe. Yeah, here's the thing. Why are you moving Bledsoe? Because you don't want his contract on the books for next year, but you're going to take Gary Harris, who's con who's I think he's right. He's got another year after this year. So I don't see that any reasoning behind that move whatsoever. Well, no. you
1: you saying guys whatever $6 million it is uh, off the 2023 season, you get off that uh, just one season earlier. But okay, all right. No, I no, can no, take no, Preston,
2: right? Bledsoe is owed, he's got a contract through 2022, 2023, right? I know $4 million guaranteed, but Harris still has another year for no. next year. But it's essentially, to me, a trade that, that that's, I don't, I don't, I don't see. I yeah, don't you
1: just get off the books uh, one season earlier, but I get it. $4 you million earlier, yeah I, just,
2: yeah, I don't know.
1: Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie uh, is an intriguing one. Obviously, he's out for the season, so the Pelicans would just take him either just to save the money going forward or they could negotiate with Spencer Dinwiddie that he has to buy into his player option next year, which I can't mm-hmm. remember. I think it's between seven and $10 million. Uh, And you wouldn't mind that because he's a, he's a solid six man. Uh, what do you think about a Spencer Dinwiddie trade? Uh, I'll start with Grubb.
3: I don't, I don't know when he's going to be healthy. That's my biggest thing is like, if, if I don't get him back till after the All-Star break next year, then it's not worth it to me, you know. It just—I just, I think that there were, there are going to be options because if I resign, you know, if I if I bring him in to lose him, then I or to only get half a season to look at him again, it doesn't help me in the thought of continuity.
2: Trying to get this team to have some stability, I'm, I'm more liable to take a shot on him because from what I've heard and read that he could potentially come back at this season. So if it's even that close. Then I, you know, you have to expect that he should be ready for next year. But on top of that, I li- I like what he brings, right? I do the like culture yes, factor like and it. all that, right, David? And mm-hmm. I, I feel like that would be a benefit, even if you know, say he doesn't accept his player option, which I think is for a little bit more than what you said, Preston. I think it's over ten million, somewhere eleven, twelve, thirteen million range. But I think that's doable, right? If he's in your top six, seven, eight rotation, then for what he brings to the court, that that's very doable. Um, but yeah, the thing of course is if it's a straight flip for Reddick, I'm all over it probably for Bledsoe too, but I don't see how the money works there for Brooklyn. So I don't know that that one's unless it's just for Reddick almost straight up. I don't see how that deal happens.
1: All right. The last one that I have is. Josh Richardson, who still has $11.6 million player option next no. year, and you'd have to imagine he's going to pick that up. So you probably wouldn't do that for JJ Reddick because you don't want that money on your books. You'd rather just buy out JJ Reddick. But would you do that for Eric Bledsoe? You save, I don't know, six, seven million off your books uh, next year, and you know, you can possibly you know, buy him out going into next season, or you can try to flip him, uh, take his salary and combine it with somebody else, and you save whatever that four or five million is in 2022, 2023. What do you think of that, Grub?
3: Interesting. I mean, it's interesting. I, I I wouldn't. I mean, like to me, would I'll I'd take that more like because again, you're getting a wing defender. I would take a wing defender and Josh Richardson. I know he'll compete. I know he'll he'll do those things. And I think I'd have an option with him if I don't want him to be able to get something of value in return. So I, I'd be okay with that.
2: Ollie. what's he got left on his contract? Didn't he just sign a new one?
1: No, 11.6 million in 2021, 2022. That's a player option. So you might potentially have him for another year at close to 12 million.
2: Yeah, that doesn't sound too bad. But, you know, it goes back to me. This is an easy one. He's a wing player. And I look at, uh, I hate to say it, but his stature. He's six foot five. I want somebody that's going to be coming in to be able to guard threes because I want to see Brandon Ingram at the two. So he's six foot five and he really is his best position is guarding twos and he doesn't shoot the three ball particularly well, no, I, I would pass on it, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, and I don't even know that the Mavericks would take Bledsoe. I, I don't know if Bledsoe is a superior player to Josh Richardson. I honestly haven't watched him. I would him say no.
3: Much. I mean, yeah. not at the value. Yes,
1: yeah, I would think they would want JJ Reddick in that deal, and then they get off of his salary, and then the Pelicans are stuck with another, you know, twelve million for next year. So I, I don't know that it makes sense for either party. But that's all we got for today. It is ten o'clock my time and I'm super old. So I gotta start getting ready for bed. But I want to thank the two of you. Reminder, you can follow them at DM Grub and at Ali Cosell. But let's be honest, if you're still listening to this podcast, you're probably already following them. Ali, what are you up to, my friend?
2: Well, we got the Clippers game tomorrow, so I'll be covering that one. Um, but in due time, I, I do want to write something up on Lonzo. So divisive, but I just want people to look past, you know, the contract issues, because I feel like the ones that are willing to accept him long term are having a real tough time squabbling over a few million. Right. I, I seem to get a lot of answers. if If they if the average cost per year is somewhere in 18 to 20, maybe 21 million dollar range, they'll they'll take him right they they want to see him here for the for over you know at least the length of most of that contract but if it jumps to a figure 22 23 24 they're out and i i just don't know why that line kind of exists right if 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 you can make the rest of your roster fit that money and why why are you drawing the line there in the sand i guess and so yeah i just want to take a deeper dive into explaining to why i feel like lonzo ball unless you get some super talented you know a a trade that david griffin can make bringing a player that can basically replace what lonzo's given you but also be that much more beneficial to the team going forward alongside zion then why would you want to keep lonzo regardless of whether it's a few million dollars here or there so
3: exactly to me if you move lonzo like that it, it could be and i i'm not trying to you know scare anybody but it could be one of those rondo to ad moments where people start re- – those guys, if you're Zion and I'm really comfort- – and, and, and Zion and B.I. have both gone out of their way. Yes. to make sure that they compliment Lonzo. And I think that is a statement not only to Lonzo.
2: How crazy was that hug B.I. gave offensive. him? Lonzo makes a three in the game that's not over, and B.I. literally comes up and hugs him. What yep. the heck? How often do you see something like that? I yeah. never see that.
1: And when Brandon Ingram won Most Improved, I remember that Lonzo was uh, – was one of, or maybe it was the All-Star uh, when he was appointed an All-Star, but he, he had three people on the Zoom that were there to congratulate him, people that were closest to him, and it was Lonzo. And I wrote an article about Zion's relationship with Lonzo last year and, and all the advice that he goes to him for. Uh, at, to me, the three have to stick together, um, and I just think it's, it's that simple. And, but. and here's another
2: thing. Lonzo Ball never tweets. he's never really does anything on social media, but guess what? As soon as Zion Williamson's little video from the Pelicans – was uh, put out there on social media. He's retweeting it. I don't know. That says everything to me.
1: For me, and and maybe I'm a victim of a small market, and, and we can't go a whole podcast without mentioning Drew Holiday, but when you have – uh, let's say a top 40 uh, player under the age of you know 25 years old, unless that player wants to leave, if they're performing, I think you got to keep them. And even though Drew Holiday was about 30, I'd, I'd call him a pop, top 25, top 30 player. If he mm-hmm. wants to leave I, or if he wants to stay, I'm not moving him. I, I think it's hard to acquire a top 25, top 30 in Lonzo's case, I'd say top 40 level talent, and especially at his age, it's hard to find those players. And of course, you collect this like bevy of draft, draft assets with these delusions of grandeur that you're, you know, going to be getting. Um, you know, Zion Williamson every year are these top five, top 10 picks that are immediately going to merge into all-stars. And you see with Jackson Hayes, that's not always the case. It's hard. It's it's, I wouldn't call it a crap, go as far as to say that it's a crap shoot, but you're not guaranteed anything. So when you do have those guys in the building and they want to be in the building, you uh-huh. want to keep them around. I think it's that's that simple. Key. Yes. All right, friends. Uh, David, was there anything we missed? Is there anything you're doing this week that you really want our listeners to check out?
3: Um, I will be talking with Wendell uh, Davis, former LSU player, on Tuesday. And then, uh, of course, um, you know, the podcast is available most weeks, but uh, I mean, most days of the week. But um, I do have the announcement that I'll be working with Rob Parker, um, former mm, you know, printer. That's journalist. huge. That's yeah, <laughs> um, On his new website, MLBbro.com, which focuses on the past, current, and future. Um, African American ball players. So I'll be doing uh, content um, both on video and doing some writing for that. And it looks like MLB is really excited about it too. So, um, just another thing on the table, and maybe some other stuff in the
2: works. So, um, folks, stay tuned.
1: We'll just have to ride your coattails as long as we can. Right, Ollie?
2: <laughs> Heck yeah, man! Dave is awesome. That's I miss awesome. going to games and sitting down and just watching a game and for us to talk, man. This I pandemic world sucks. I miss <laughs> it
3: so much. I really do. Because that one time that we got to be together and we're like, you know, you're 20 seats apart. And I'm loud, but I don't want to be that loud. Because <laughs> they would have heard horrible. me on the court.
2: Yeah.
1: And a quick PSA to everyone. If you have the opportunity to get the vaccine, I highly recommend it. I have not gotten it as of yet, but a lot of my friends have gotten it. Uh, both it's sets of Monday. my parents have gotten it. Congratulations. Um, I think that it's, it's really, really important. I'm not going to force anybody to do it, but I think it's really, really important to, to resuming some normalcy. And the scientists seem to trust it. Uh, there's a zero hospitalization rate, zero death rate. So if it is something you feel comfortable doing, I highly, highly recommend it. And honestly, I could get emotional about it, but I feel like we're close. I feel like like a bunch of my friends are calling up my wife who's in the fitness industry and saying, like, oh my God, I I might have to go to social events again. I I might get called back into physical work. I I need to like shed these 10 pounds that I've gained. Um, I need to go get my hair cut. I need to dye my hair. And and that's how I'm feeling. I'm I'm super, super excited. And I think that we might be at, at the end of this. Um Preston, just, are you
2: kidding me? Are we gonna get a chance to see you and little Gracie in person dude, someday the, soon?
1: The hardest thing for me, um, I mean, I haven't lost anybody. So obviously I'm, I'm doing really, really well. My, my wife and I are, are, are doing as best as we can do given this situation. But one of the hardest things for me to talk about is, is my daughter's turning one and I don't know, six people have been in a room with her. And we've tried to be super, super cautious, take every precaution. We just like wanna do what the scientists and the doctors recommend. My dad uh, used to be a doctor, he's retired now. And we try to follow every protocol, but it's, it's hard to say like, damn man, a year's gone. And like, I never got the chance to like be a dad in front of my friends. I never got a chance to like see my best friends, my family, like hold her and smile and laugh and giggle with her. Like that, that year is just gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know that like everybody will say like, well, you got to treasure those moments with her. You're at home every day. So you really didn't miss anything, even if some no, others did, No, but... no, no, you,
3: It's, it's, it's different. I, yeah. I, I know it's different for you. And I would tell you as a father who, you know, got to experience that first year the way I wanted to, I can't imagine what it would be like, because being outdoors with my daughter and, and, you know, just that interaction and watching her eyes light up when she met new people. No, dude, it's something that the the only thing you're, you're really hoping is that it doesn't change them too much because that's a big, those first years, there's so much information that they want to take in and it's changed. You can't give her the same amount of information. So I, you did lose out and, and you're you're not bad for feeling that way.
1: Thanks, man. Um, so I, I hope everybody's doing really well. And, and I know that in Florida, at least 5000 people a day are still contracting the disease. So still, by all means, um, you know, take the precautions, do what what is recommended by the CDC. But I just mask up or
2: Sam Van Gunney going to find you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just I just feel really, really hopeful in a in a way that I haven't in in what's been a year. What's been a year. Uh so thanks, gents, for listening to that monologue. Um uh, thanks, Ali and David. I am Preston. Thanks to our listeners for joining us in the locker room. Like that
2: was awesome.
1: It was so nice to like hear I your voices. I love that by the way,
2: Preston. That was you you and Chris. I was laughing. I loved it.
1: <laughs> I mean, Lewis came up on stage. We yes. talked to him for five minutes. It was just so nice to have verbal interaction with some of the people who listen to the show. So thank you so much. We're going to do it again uh, soon, and I, I hope you'll join us again then soon. But for now, let's dance. Let's go, pedals.